Tell you how, my friends, here we are on the hunt for deeper truths. Join us now. We're going to take a wee bit of a ride. Best to hold on tight. We might take several jumps. So here's a quick preview. In one with it. But what started is um, a number of years ago, my parents were in their big old Cadillac and they were heading to the store and they got in a car accident head on. And the strength of the accident was so hard that it pushed the engine into the compartment in the driver's car where my mother was on the passenger side and pinned her down. She was burned and, and lots of broken bones on one side. My father was hurt on the other, but he was able to crawl out a window and he passed out on the pavement. And while there on the pavement, he heard a sound that was very familiar to him because he's a big Harley Davidson fan. And it was a motorcycle wheel roll up next to his head. He heard the clack of boots. He felt himself being lifted off the hot asphalt and put into the grass. And he looked up and it was a biker. I mean, you got your type of the beard and the jackets and it said heaven's angels on the back of his jacket. Well, as he's kind of in and out of conscious, he heard the door to the car where my mother was in being pulled like the shearing of metal off the, and she was checked. And then he saw the biker go and check the other car and then started waving traffic around them so they wouldn't crash into their cars. Well, my father passed out. And as it, later when he woke up, he was being loaded on his gurney into the ambulance. And he turned to the paramedic and he said, uh, could you please thank the biker for keeping us from getting run over? The paramedic kind of looked at him and said, I don't know what you're talking about. What biker? Sure enough, the police officer who was standing outside looked at him. He had no idea. Nobody remembered a biker having pulled up to help them. My father was the only one. to Spiritual Encounters with Pastor Casper McLeod. And now, here's your lion-hearted host, Pastor Casper. Where did Jesus ever give a seeker-friendly message anywhere in the scriptures so no one was offended? Well, welcome to another Spiritual Encounter. I am your lion-hearted host, Pastor Casper, here with Crocodile Sarah, Luxembourg, all the way from Australia. Um, sitting is our co-host, Pastor Brandon's away this week. And Carsten Brown behind the, the scenes working all this stuff with the technology. Sarah, we got Nathan Jones from Lamb and Lion Ministries joining us. Mm -hmm. How his new book, Mighty Angels of Revelation. You know, the more heavenly minded we become, I think the more earthly good we're going to do. So <laughs> reading mighty angels of revelation it actually has given me some revelations you know you say you want a revelation <laughs> well you know we're gonna hit change the world right but no seriously heaven i think heaven truly appears to me it's, it's voice activated from your heart you know because we read places like in psalm 103 
I think it's verse 20, um, lust and Lord all his angels, right? That excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening on the voice of the, of the word. So it indicates that when we speak forth words that are pleasing unto the Lord, things that are, um, you know, what he would want us to do here. And then the angels are carrying out an, an assignment on our behalf. And I encourage everybody to, to consider that, um, you know, we're supposed to walk in the light as he is the light, right? Having fellowship with one another. So um, Nathan, so excited that you're here. So good to be here, Pastor Casper. It's been a while. He's I love your, your format of your show. And so uh, this is really exciting. You know, before we jump into this too deeply, um, I was just chatting with my mate, Dr. Ale Mozuli, and, and I was remembering, I, I was playing guitar for a church group, doing a worship thing. Some people I met um, invited me to come to the church. And, and as I was playing, a number of people came up to me afterwards and said, we saw angels coming out of your guitar. <laughs> and then and then there was another time I, I, I was at a church where they had like really weird stuff going on, like the gold dust manifesting and all that, you know. Uh, I think it's kind of reminiscent of the, the flowing oil crowd here. Um, but this, this woman comes up to me, this is years ago, and, and, and she goes, I, I saw an angels, I saw angels with you as you were worshiping. And I thought, in my heart, I thought, Lord, she's like a loony bin, you know? And I just, I mean, I went, praise the Lord Jesus. And I made a quick, hasty ex you know, excuse to go somewhere else. And it was a big crowd, it was, you know, big hundreds of people. And so I kind of melted into the congregation there. And I was talking to somebody else, one of the other um, pastors. And, and so these two little girls, it must have been like three and five, and they're kind of tugging at my, my coattail, you know, and I, I turned around and, and I made inquiries to make sure they weren't related to the other woman. They weren't. And, and, I, I, and they said, we saw angels with you. And so <laughs> finally, finally, I asked a question. I went, yeah, so uh, what did they look like? And, and the little girls both said they were really big and shiny like lightning. So, I mean, what do you do with that? I, I've had other kind of weird experiences, but you've written this amazing book. Listen, I started reading your book. I, I really got to recommend this to everyone. I couldn't put it down. You kept me up late at night. You oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I hope it's a blessing to people. Uh, the book of Revelation, it starts with a blessing. Revelation uh, one three says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. It's the only book in the Bible that guarantees you if you read it, you will be blessed by God. Well, let's just jump into this thing. What, what inspired you? What led you to write a book? I mean, we're in, in, a, in an age of mentality, microwave generations now where you know, people think Twitter is like, oh, I can't read that. It's more than three sentences. And, <laughs> and you, you've gone to, well, how many pages is this again? Um, 400. Yeah, like 400 pages, right? Yeah, everybody always says, uh, 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 Dr. Spagamini was like, uh, you wrote a tome. And a tome, I mean, oh, that's like an encyclopedic collection. Jen Markella was on her show uh, today, and she kept emphasizing what a long book it is. Now, 400 pages does seem, in this age, when we only want to watch five-minute YouTube videos and, like you said, read Twitter, uh, 400 seems like a lot. But what I did is I covered the entire subject of angelology, the study of angels, and I take you verse by verse through the book of Revelation. So you actually get kind of two books in one with it. But what started is um, 
a number of years ago, my parents were in their big old Cadillac and they were heading to the store and they got in a car accident head on. And the strength of the accident was so hard that it pushed the engine into the compartment in the driver's cart where my mother was on the passenger side and pinned her down. She was burned and, and lots of broken bones on one side. My father was hurt on the other, but he was able to crawl out a window and he passed out on the pavement. And while there on the pavement, he heard a sound that was very familiar to him because he's a big Harley Davidson fan. And it was a motorcycle wheel roll up next to his head. He heard the clack of boots. He felt himself being lifted off the hot asphalt and put into the grass. And he looked up and it was a biker. I mean, you got your type of the beard and the jackets and it said Heaven's Angels on the back of his jacket. Well, as he's kind of in and out of conscious, he heard the door to the car where my mother was in being pulled like the shearing of metal off the and she was checked and then he saw the biker go and check the other car and then started waving traffic around them so they wouldn't crash into their cars. Well, my father passed out. And as it, later when he woke up, he was being loaded on his gurney into the ambulance. And he turned to the paramedic and he said, uh, could you please thank the biker for keeping us from getting run over? And the paramedic kind of looked at him and said, I don't know what you're talking about, what biker? Sure enough, the police officer who was standing outside looked at him. He had no idea that nobody remembered a biker having pulled up to help them. My father was the only one. And so later I got a telephone call from the hospital where my parents ended up being. And he was telling me that he believed that this was an angel that helped him. Nobody else could remember. And I remember being skeptical about it. I'm like, you read about the angels in the Old Testament, right? I mean, there were angels that guarded the Garden of Eden and there were angels who who traveled with the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And there are angels that rescued Lot and fought armies and did amazing things. And you get into the New Testament and they proclaim the, the birth of Jesus Christ and they're there with his resurrection and they protect the apostles and get him out of jail. They do all these amazing things. But I thought, well, we're in the church age. We don't need angels anymore, right? We got the Holy Spirit in us. And I began to wonder why I was so skeptical. Did I really believe that angels weren't relevant in this day and age? And so I went to a pastor friend of mine. He and I do a podcast every Wednesday called The Truth Will Set You Free. And Vic says, well, if you really want to understand angels, then you need to go to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation has 72 angels or groups of angels. If there's more angels in the book of Revelation than any, there's 108 references to angels in the Old Testament and 176 references to angels in the New Testament. 284 references to angels and 72 of them are in the book of revelation so he challenged me we taught through it for an entire year and then i blogged through it for another year and finally at uh the ministry i serve at lamb and lion ministries our founder dr david reagan said well why don't you turn that into a book and he challenged me to do that and that was the fruit of uh, our labor of uh, vic batista's my labor is to create the mighty angels of revelation and I came through that book to realize that, yes, angels are still very active in the world today, and especially in the time period we read about in the Revelation, this tribulation time period that's coming to this earth, how God unveils, and that's what Revelation means, to unveil or to reveal the spiritual world that's working behind the scenes in the world today. So that's kind of the long of it of how I got to end up writing this book. Well, that's uh, an incredible story accounts um especially with your, your dad having this angelic being uh diverting traffic uh as you said that i, I, I recall there was a, a time a couple of years ago um i got a knock on my door it was uh 
about five o'clock at night and the traffic had been diverted. So we, we live on a little country road, but now it's <clears throat> because of the traffic changes, there's you know a lot of traffic going down. And this guy with a tattoo, like seemed like all over his, you know, lots of tattoos and a mohawk haircut, knocks on my door, come on, thinking, what's this about? And he goes, your horse is across the street. And I look <laughs> and the front gate, the pasture is open. I mean, it's got several locks on it, it chain locks. I'm like, what? And my, there's my horse across the street and you know, trying to figure out what's going on. With tra- so I, I, I don't have shoes on or anything. I just took off running and you know, <clears throat> grabbed the halter off the you know, fence line. And, and uh, this guy came along with me and he's kind of holding traffic back. And uh, I, my horse is just kind of niggering at me like, what took you so long to save me? You know. Um, <laughs> So I, I put a uh, halter on him and I mean, it was really greatly didn't in the traffic, just praying the whole way, you know, and, and uh, Mr. Mohawk guys, uh, you know, holding back the traffic for me, I see him on the peripheral vision and a lady stops, you know, he's stopping all the traffic. And so I walk my horse across the street. I'm thinking it can't be, you know, it's like a two lane road. It can't be that, you know, not very far distance. Get inside the gate, close the gate. I turn around, and Mr. Mohawk is vanished. Just, huh. Now, how did that happen? I mean, there's no, there was no place to the park along the road. It's a two-lane road, but there's no parking. And I and I called Ale. I go, I don't understand what just happened. The, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. And we talked about it at length, prayed about it. It still makes no sense, except that it was an angelic visitor. Wow. Well, I've heard of this, for the lack of a better name, this biker angel helping other people. In my research for the book, I came across numerous stories of motorcyclists, a motorcycle that looks like a, you know, not a hell's angel, obviously, but uh, you know, in that type of genre, showing up, helping people, and disappear. As a matter of fact, I end the book. I, I produce, present 72 angels, but I leave everybody with the 73rd, which is the biker angel who showed up to a woman named Doby off the I-5 near Sacramento. She got her truck had just stopped in the middle of rush hour and she was praying and praying, Oh Lord, please send somebody to come help me. Uh, you know, and someone who knows something about mechanics and sure enough, the, the same description that my father gave the same type of biker pulls up heaven's angels on the back, gets out, walks up to the front of her truck, fiddles around with it, comes back, starts right up. And he looks at her and says, don't judge a book by its cover. Kind of looked up in the air, got back on his bike and rode off. I mean, and you hear story after story like this that, and we read in the Bible how angels come as people. Matter of fact, when Abraham entertained the angel of the Lord and his two accomplices, uh, uh, two companions that were with him, who then traveled on and rescued Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah, they appeared as humans. But uh, I, if you're like me, and I know you're not an American by birth, but uh, we grew up with these Americana style angels, you know, the blonde curly hair and the white guys and they get these halos and wings and and they're wearing these uh, togas and that's kind of the picture that most people have of angels but when you read in bible the bible especially the book of revelation you find that they don't look just like people they can certainly mask themselves to look like people but you've got the seraphim for instance who sit before the throne of god and one has the face of a lion and one an eagle one an ox and one a man they have six wings and they're covered in eyes i mean covered in eyes and they sing holy 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 is the lord god almighty day in and day out you've got the cherubim who aren't the cute little hallmark angels you know the little fat cherub babies with the bow and arrow and the hearts no in the bible they are 
massive angels with four wings and four faces, and they carry the throne of God, which is in truth the chariot across the universe. You've got warrior angels. You've got uh, guardian angels, rescuer angels, worshiping angels. Some act as evangelists, others enforcers, some servants, and even, as we read it, uh, throughout the Old Testament, especially, and then again in Revelation, executioner angels, angels that God sends out to defeat his enemies. So there is a wide variety of looks of angels. There are angels described as forces of nature. There are some that look like animals. There are some that are so big they can step across oceans. So there are just as about a myriad of angels as there are animal species in, in our earth. So Nathan, too, um, I had a friend back in Australia who's also had that biker experience, had a very severe car crash and had had the experience of being lifted out of the vehicle and the driver's side door was so bashed in, there's no way it could have been opened. And the paramedics did find him on the side of, lifted safely to the side of the road. And um, he said to the paramedics, can you thank the man or is the man still here who lifted me out of the car? And they said to him, well, actually, we don't know how you even got out of the car because <laughs> it is so smashed in. There is no way that you could have possibly got out. So, yeah. And that's, so that's all the exact same story. Yeah, again and again in my research, I came across stories where uh, people would be climbing up a mountain and they their piton would break or they'd fall off and they'd feel this hand on their back push them up against the mountain. Other more disturbing ones, like for instance, two young girls who are walking down a road together and they came across an intersection and one of the girls was just stopped dead in her track. She couldn't move, but the other girl kept walking and got hit by a truck and killed. And you wonder, why does God send his angels to stop some incidences, but allow others to come according to his name? Uh, again, they, they do the, Lord, the Lord's will as messengers. That's really what the angels means. In the Hebrew, it's malik, and in the Greek, it's angelos, and that's where we get angels or messengers, and that's their primary role. But we see them doing so many things like rescuing people. Matter of fact, in the tribulation, uh, at the midpoint, when the Antichrist uh, declares himself to be God in the temple and desecrates it, we read about the Jewish people fleeing out into the wilderness where they'll be nourished for a time. And you find out that, that who's nourishing them? It's like when God took care of the Israelites as they wandered around in the Exodus, he provided them manna and kept their clothes, never tearing and all that, that they will be nourished by angels out in the wilderness too. So angels do far more than just what their name is, messenger. It, you wrote um, also about, I mean, because it's a study of Revelation as well, like um, not everybody's a celestial being in Revelation, right? We have John seeing thousands of years into the future. I mean, most of us can't figure out what we're going to have for dinner tonight. Um, so you, you talked about the seven churches, and um, maybe you can expound a bit about that and the 24 elders. Who are these guys? Oh, certainly. Well, you got to remember that John was the scribe for the book of Revelation. It was God himself who was showing uh, what was going to be going on in the future. And uh, he was also going, talking through Jesus Christ. Let me just, I'll spill the beans. Revelation is all about Jesus' victory. It's, it's the story of, of Jesus defeating the Gentile empires, as was prophesied in Daniel 2 and 7, and setting up his kingdom for a thousand years. 
And so John had been at the time, he was 97 years old. He was the only apostle that hadn't been martyred, although the Romans tried, they had actually boiled him in oil and he survived. And eventually Domitian, who was the worst of the persecutors in that century, had sent John to the Isle of Patmos to basically work. Can you imagine a 97 year old man in hard labor? But that's when the Lord came in all his glory, as we read in Revelation 1, and said, I want you to write what I'm going to show you. It's going to cover Revelation 2 and 3, the 2,000 years of church history, through seven letters to seven churches in Turkey. And that's where we get the seven churches. We got Ephesus and uh, Pergamos. Uh, let me just go in order here. I'd like to go in order. We got Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea which were actually seven churches found in Asia Meyer or Western Turkey today. And you could go in a circle. So when John was done seeing all of Revelation, he'd write it down, put it in a letter and send it to these churches. And these churches also represent ages or time periods within the church age. And these letters were meant for the uh, stars over the churches. And stars is a term in the Bible for angels. They were guardian angels assigned to each of these seven churches. And this letter would go, to the church people, the pastor, and of course, the angels there. So that's where we encounter the first them. To answer your second half of your question, then we see in Revelation chapters four through five, John is taken up to heaven and he sees the throne room of God and he tries to explain it, but who can explain the throne room of God in all its glory? But he talks about how around God's throne are 25 smaller thrones and on each of these thrones sits what's called an elder. Now there's a lot of speculation about who the 24 elders are. I'll tell you my interpretation. And if you agree, say so. And if not, you know, tell me your interpretation. But I don't believe these are angels. And I actually go into the book and explain why that these elders weren't seen in the Old Testament when Ezekiel went to heaven or Isaiah went to heaven and saw the heavenly scene. This is a New Testament view. And so I believe that the elders are the church, those who have died, and they will, we are promised as Christians to rule and reign with Jesus Christ forever. And so these thrones sit, these 24 elders representative of the church, and very well could be on a rotational basis that one day when we are in heaven, we might be sitting on one of those thrones for a period of time. So you're right, the 24 elders are not angels, but I did explore whether they were not in a chapter in the book. I, I, I think you're one of the best explanations I've ever heard on the 24 elders. So, um, oh, praise the Lord. Quite, I mean, it's, it's you know, basing it on the word of God. And um, it is interesting yeah. to go back, you know, think about the, the rotation we, we have in, in um, the Old Testament, uh, the temple priest, and, and then even for the birth of Christ, you know, the, the, now with some of the things with the Dead Sea Scrolls, we're able to go back and uh, calculate with all the all the information that you know is most likely born in the springtime, but uh, that's for another show. So, <laughs> we'll stay on the angel theme. Um, yeah. So let, let's talk about it. Um, are, are demons these fallen angels? I mean, we know God's created angels, right? I mean, it's it's um, and then we got Lucifer as the fallen angel, and he leads us. I mean, how does he get one third of the population of heaven? The the you know. I mean, what kind of political agenda was going on there? Was he doing the same sort of stuff we see playing out today in the political landscape? Hey, come with me. You know, we'll pay off all your student debt, whatever. You know, it's like... Yeah, I, I know what you're referring to. Yes. Right? Same tactics, right? Same uh, so. I think it goes back to Ephesians 6.12, which 
which the Apostle Paul said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we're not talking about Satan and his demons are forces of nature or concepts or ideas as many liberal Christians tend to take. The Bible describes actual beings. So what we do is let's go back in time to Lucifer, where before human history, Lucifer was created the greatest of all the angels, the most beautiful. He, it says that he worshiped with timbrels and other instruments. He was God's worship leader, and he would lead the angels and worship for God. But over time, he began to envy God, and he wanted to worship for himself, and that's where we get the first sin, the sin of pride. So he wanted to be worshiped, and it didn't take long before he convinced a third of the angels to side with him in an attempt to overthrow God. Now, obviously, Satan, even though he's the, the most powerful being ever created, he's nothing compared to God. And Michael and the archangels, the archangel and the other angels expelled him, defeated him, and expelled he and his demons out of heaven. What we learn is then that the demons are, as the angel, fallen angels are called, separated into two groups. One are the ones that are disembodied, who are looking to possess people. Jesus explained how they're looking for homes from out of the dry areas. They're looking to possess people and animals. And they came to earth and they were worshiped as the gods of old. Uh, they possessed men and then through women created what was called the Nephilim, a superhuman race that God wiped out in the flood. And then we have a second category of demons that were so terrible that God put them in the bottomless pit. And there they're stored until we get what's called the trumpet judgments, the 21 judgments of God that will happen during the tribulation time period consist of seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowl judgments. And during the trumpet judgments, God will open up the bottomless pit and the Abaddon, who's the king over these fallen demons, they will have the um, four riders over these angel-like creatures that are like multiple mixtures of animals. I call them chimeras in the book, a 200 million man army. Uh, all these demons that look like locusts, and they will go around the world and inflict terrible torments for five months and destroy like very much of the world during this time period. I mean, this is where, again, we're in Revelation. It's an unveiling. What we can't see today with our eyes, the people at that time will see very much so. So yes, Satan is very much alive and active. Obviously, after he fell, Lucifer became Satan in name. But uh, that's another wonderful thing about the book of Revelation. Even though Satan will attempt one more time, and you can read this in Revelation 12, how it's described how Satan will try one more time to overtake heaven, will be defeated, he'll, no longer then will be able to be go before the throne of God. And finally, at the end of the tribulation, when Jesus Christ returns, he defeats the Antichrist and the false prophet, throws them into the lake of fire, Satan into a pit, and then at the end of the millennial kingdom, finally defeats him, sends him to the lake of fire, and that's it. We enter the eternal state, Evil is defeated. Jesus Christ rules and reigns. Sin nature is gone because we'll all be in our glorified bodies. And so as terrible as a lot of revelation is, as you read it, it has a really happy ending and a main point. Jesus Christ wins in the end. Sorry, Casper. Nathan, I was just going to ask you to um, talk to something. One of the, the comments I get quite a lot from people about the book of Revelation is, it scares me, I just don't want to read it. You know, <laughs> you know, so what would you what would you say to people about about that 
because clearly you know that might be something that will put people off reading your book when really there's a you know there's a lot of value there and and exposure of the truth as well well as a as a public speaker who travels at conferences and churches and preaches uh, we're seeing over the years that the the left behind series that was so uber popular in the 90s and into the 2000s which brought so many bible prophecy ministries like our ministry lamb and line ministries with so many speaking engagements uh, Jesus said he would return soon three times in Revelation 22, and people misinterpreted that meant, okay, tomorrow or next week or next month. And well, the 90s passed, and then we got into the 2000s, and the Jesus movement people started getting older and older. And we've seen, and I'm sure you guys do too, less and less churches, less and less pastors, especially new pastors, interested in the book of Revelation. They've abandoned the premillennial view, which uh, sees Bible prophecy line up a certain way. They've abandoned this idea that Jesus is coming, and they've gone back in time to the 1800s, which were post-millennialism was really popular. This idea that the church will get bigger and bigger and eventually overtake the world, and then we will hand the keys to Jesus Christ of his kingdom when he returns. And it's like, well, you just have to look around the world and see it's not getting better and better. It's getting worse and worse. And so post-millennialism isn't a viewpoint, but a lot of pastors have adopted that view, and they've also adopted what's called the amillennial view. This A means no, so no millennial kingdom. Six times in Revelation 20, Jesus says that his kingdom will be here on this earth for a thousand years. And so again, we know that Jesus Christ wins in the end. So I think that's coloring a lot of what we're seeing with pastors being saying they're scared of the book of Revelation. A lot of them aren't taught it. They, they don't take a literal interpretation, which I believe is the correct way. If the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense, lest you end up with nonsense. And that's the yeah. golden rule of interpretation. So I tell pastors all the time, you know, you don't have to be scared of the book of Revelation. As I read earlier, Revelation 1-3, Revelation promises a blessing if you read it. And yes, there are horrible things from Revelation 6 to 19 God pours all his wrath out on this earth, one, to judge it. And you need to be judged sometimes in order to get you on your knees and repent and turn to God. So it's got the best evangelistic message because we read how millions from every tribe, tongue, and nation are going to accept Jesus Christ as Savior during that time period. Many will be martyred by the Antichrist, but it's got a great salvation message. It also gives a message of hope because this world cannot keep going on limping along like it's been. Jesus Christ will return and he will set up his kingdom and he will defeat evil. And eventually after the millennial kingdom will enter into the eternal state. And that's the, what everyone's looking for, right? The return of Jesus Christ. So I say to pastors, please read Revelation. If, if you're worried about Revelation, bring guys like Pastor Casper in, bring guys like me and we'd be more than happy to teach you the book of Revelation, teach your congregation the book of Revelation. It's not something to be scared of. It's Jesus Christ's victory lap. You know, it seems to be most church growth today is people going from church to church trying to find God somewhere, something supernatural, some empowerment. And uh, as you're, you're saying all this, um, it's reminding me, like, um, you know, we got CERN, we got the strange thing going on with CERN over in, in Switzerland, France, border, built over that place, Abaddon, where it's reported that was a gateway into where the the angels possibly were chained up and bound in the, you know, First Peter 5 talks about the 5a. Um, and they're talking about, you know, unleashing these things in, in dimensional portals. And um, in fact, uh, in, in my book on Musk in the Future, it quoted the 
the head of the sun saying, well, we might send something into another dimension or something from another dimension may come into our dimension, which means they probably really accomplished it. So, uh, you know, how close are we to this point? We've got um, our friend, Dr. Tom Horn, you know, talking about the possibility of Wormwood, uh, the, the apophysis, the, the asteroid coming. Um, I've done several uh, presentations on this last decade, um, with the new decade we've just gone into, that by the end of it, they're thinking artificial intelligence will be running the world. Um, in the Antichrist, possibly, you know, he talks about him having muzzle teeth and different bits, so maybe he's not completely human anyways. Maybe he's um, a transhuman himself. So all these things are starting to make sense to us now. Um, and it's imperative people get right with the Lord. And, and you so eloquently pointed out and in the, the seven churches, five of them heavily rebuked. The Lord rebukes them. You know, we go back to Matthew um, and seven, where he, he says, you know, depart from me. I never knew you. You, you worked iniquity. And we've got all these secret friendly guys out there today telling you how to build a big, you know, church, right? Um, off a of free pizza, whatever. Yeah, um, your best life now, right? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it's not getting any. I mean, some of them come over to our, our, our upper room fellowship. We, we, they come in and they're blown away because we're, we're teaching out of the word. And they've, no, they've been at these churches that they don't even quote the scriptures anymore. Um, we are in those days. Perilous times have come. Well, I'd uh, love to read Matthew 24 and Luke 21, Mark 13 are all parallel passages. When the apostles asked Jesus three questions, they said, when will the temple fall? What will be the signs of the end of this age? And what will be the sign before you return? So they're basically asking, tell us when the temple is going to fall. And we know through history that was 70 AD. When he's going to return at the end of this age, that's the rapture of the church. And then the third question dealt with his second coming at the end of the tribulation. And Jesus answers, interestingly enough, with nine of uh, uh, ten signs, but nine of them are repeated. But what he pointed out was that they will increase in frequency and intensity the closer we get to that point. And he gave us nine signs, which included a rise of false prophets, increase in earthquakes, wars, and rumors of wars, uh, signs in the heavens, uh, just goes on and on listing all these things that we're seeing today. And people will say, well, you know, they've we've always had earthquakes and, and famines and diseases and natural disasters and, and wars and trouble. And But Jesus says, Yes, but they will increase in frequency and intensity like a woman giving birth. Now, I have three children. I can't personally say I know what childbearing's like, but I watched my wife, and I know that when she was getting ready to give birth, the contractions were small, they weren't as painful, and they were far apart. But as we got closer and closer and closer to the baby being born, they were increasing in frequency and intensity. Uh, I'd have friends who aren't even interested in Bible prophecy coming up to me and saying, oh my goodness, China has got got this coronavirus going on in the swine they're killing all their pigs because of the swine flu and they're killing all their chickens because of the bird flu and the economy it looks like it's about to go over a precipice and you've got this this plague of locusts that are moving all the way from sudan to the chinese border and you've got all these earthquakes all of a sudden and volcanoes blowing up and weird weather patterns and they're listing them on and on and on i'm like yeah that's that's exactly what jesus said would happen as soon as he comes so Although I don't know too much about CERN colliders and other dimensions, what I can tell you is from the Bible is Jesus said these signs would happen before his return. Uh, I love to talk about technology as a sign. Daniel 12, 4, the angel told Daniel that you would 
be able to open up these books and understand these Bible prophecies when two things happen. One, when knowledge would increase exponentially, and when travel would increase exponentially. We're seeing people today learn more thanks to computers and travel more because of modern transportation than any time in human history, just as that angel, since we're talking about angels, prophesied. So yes, absolutely. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming soon to rapture the church up to heaven and then followed by the tribulation because the very signs that Jesus told us about would happen, including the number one sign, Israel is a nation again. I mean, what nation has been dead for 1900 years and was all of a sudden resurrected from the dead just as Ezekiel 37 prophesied would happen? We're going to take a break in a moment and we're going to continue down this pathway because this is absolutely fascinating and intriguing and we need to know the truth and you're right knowledge is coming out now like a fire hose we can't even keep up with the amount of information you and i both uh, every morning i mean we're inundated with so much information it's uh you know it's hard to sift through it all. so hang on and we'll be right back i don't know about you cash but i just can't stop eating these nuts mm. They are so amazing. They're so brilliant. This just cold smoked in small batches, you know. This is like amazing. This tastes fantastic. You've got to try these. Get them at naturallycravable.com. Really got to try these. I'm sorry, I was raised to not talk and eat at the same time, but oh my gosh. You have to try these. They are so good. All real ingredients. This is like the food. This is God's food. This is like nothing artificial in here. Well, you're going to have to talk for me because I'm just eating. Sorry. Well, people like, um, they like snacks. If you're going to have a snack, have one of these. We've got, um, these are smoked maple bourbon pecans. And we've got naturally craveable smoked maple pecans. And then you've got smoked maple almonds. Um, you know, and all these are really nutritious. That these are things that God made for us. They really are. For Thanksgiving and rejoice. And you missed you missed one flavor, Casper. This is, these are the smoked maple walnuts, like no other walnuts you have ever had before. Oh, I can't stop eating these. I have been waiting so long to get my hands on these nuts, and now I've got five full packets. I don't think they will be by the end of tonight. But, and you're getting over a cold as well, and your taste is not even 100% back yet. And I mean, imagine how amazing these are going to be when you're like taste properly. Yeah. I mean, the, if they taste that good when you're not feeling well, how much better are they going to taste when you're in homeostasis and feeling 100% well? Mm. Check them out. You've got to go to naturallycravable.com. It's a Christian company. You're going to love these. And now we should get back to the program. Welcome back to Spiritual Encounters. And we're here with Sarah and Nathan Jones. Nathan, before the break, you mentioned that um, all these signs are going to happen before the return of Christ, like climate change, which I think was previously called global warming, right? When they ran the dead one. It's like the UFOs are now being called unexplained aerial phenomena. Yes, indeed, exposure has happened, but... The people seem to have rolled back and gone back to sleep because they've already been desensitized, right, by all the, the films and, you know, the programming and all that. But you wrote in your book, this marvelous book you've written, The Mighty Angels of Revelation, you talked about, and I don't remember where exactly I read that, about 
how angels are actually controlling the weather. So here we got all these politicians, especially on, on the far left, uh, using these scare tactics for the younger generation, like, oh, you know, it's your fault. Um, you know, the whole world's falling apart because of global warming you're causing. But that's not happening at all. Even with weather manipulation and like HARP and all that stuff that's going on. Um, we're seeing, you know, when you leave the Lord out of these things, what happens as a result? Maybe you could expound on that for us. Well, exactly. You know, back in the 70s, everybody was terrified of global cooling. <laughs> and now we've got global warming. But since it's not warming enough, it's cooling in some places and warming in others. They're calling it climate change. And they're getting 16-year-old girls like Greta Thunberg going out and saying the world's going to end in 12 years or AOC. 12 years, everybody's terrified. If you don't put us in power, the world is going to be destroyed. And yet you read Revelation 7, 1, after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth or on the sea or any tree. And it's a reminder that God has everything in control. But, you know, obviously, like you said, Pastor Casper, the world doesn't see God. They don't see the spiritual elements in it. And so they don't take it seriously. They think that mankind, because they're humanists, they're secularists, believe they must be at fault for the way the global. Now, obviously, we've done a lot to affect the climate and, and the globe, and, and we're supposed to be caretakers of it. That's what Adam and Eve were assigned to. But the idea that we're going to destroy the world through ourselves is, is to disregard the fact that God is sovereign over this world. He's allowing Satan to rule it for a season. But when Jesus died on the cross, the title deed of the earth moved to Jesus. Matter of fact, we read in the book of Revelation how this strong angel, this big powerful angel comes out and says, who's worthy to open the seals on this scroll? And all of a sudden this little lamb who's been slain comes up and claims it as Jesus Christ, the symbol of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can claim because he's the only one worthy to take that scroll. And so he does. So yeah, if you're a Christian, you got to stop worrying so much about climate change and global warming and all of a sudden god's got angels it's like a the earth is a big factory and he's got angels all over the place managing we read about angels that control the waters we read about angels that control the wind we clearly there are angels uh we read about the sun angel who comes out of the sun i mean there's all sorts of angels at work uh there's some even the stars in the sky uh, might be angels so it, there's a lot about angels that are controlling everything that we need to stop worrying about. Now, will God, during the tribulation, step back and allow mankind to act on their own evil need? Absolutely. Paul tells us that the restrainer will be removed from this earth when the church is raptured out of it. And mankind will be left to all their own evil inclinations. And it appears in quite a number of verses in Revelation that there could be a nuclear war. There's famine that results of it and plagues that result in that. And a number of the judgments, the people hide in the mountains, they cry out for the wrath of the lamb to stop. Clearly, man-made is uh, destruction is involved. We read how by the end of the tribulation, not just a third of all the fresh and the salt water, but and the land, but almost by the end, the almost entire world is destroyed. Matter of fact, if Jesus didn't return exactly at the end of those seven years, it looks like the earth would be extinct. By the end of the tribulation, there's only enough people around the entire world to be gathered into one valley, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and be judged. So, yes, mankind does affect nature, but God certainly has nature under control. Well, it, 
it reminds me, and I preached to my church um, a message not long ago about how similar it is now to the 1700s. You had the French Revolution. Now, who benefited from this, the French Revolution? Maybe the Illuminati, obviously, you can see how that they were formed, probably eons before the same spirit that they came in. And um, they, they convinced the people, like, if everybody just, everybody all had the same stuff, like, you know, it's kind of a socialist mindset, right? If all had equal stuff, and what were was left with? They, they wanted to do away with Christianity. That was the first thing, get rid of that, get rid of the aristocrats, right? Um, there's a place in, in, in France, uh, in Paris, it's called the Place of Harmony, but in the 1700s, it was a place of terror. Um, the guillotine was employed as, as entertainment, you know? We had Louis the Sixteenth, uh, King Louis and, and uh, Varian Pinet, the heads were rolled off there. Um, and here the people were just, you know, women were knitting, it was reported. This was entertainment for them. And I think the reason it did not spill into England was because God had raised up a young man named John Wesley. He rode his horse and, and he got kicked out of most of the pulpits in, in, in the Church of England. So he, him and George Whitfield, the part of the Holiness Club, right? He saw his brother Charles said, well, you know, our, our master Jesus preached, you know, in the streets and on the the deserts and you know mountaintops so you don't need a building <laughs> right so now all the because if you weren't dressed properly if you didn't have the right stuff to wear you couldn't even get into church back then they wouldn't allow you in you can't come in as a peasant oh we don't have that and there's wesley telling you know people you're all you've all fallen short of the, the glory of god even the aristocrats right they got really upset with him but it, it i think it so many people got saved by the time the illuminati start pushing in to England, try to do the same nonsense there, they pushed back. So we're not having this. And I think we, the world would be incredibly different today had that not happened. So there you go. Um, <laughs> um, but we, we should get back on track and talk about some angels here. Right, Sarah? We should. <laughs> well, I think you bring up a good point because we read about the gospel keeping evil at bay, and it always does. During the tribulation, that seven-year time period that Daniel prophesied, Daniel's 70th week, we wonder how will the gospel spread during the tribulation? There are those who say, well, the church has to live through the tribulation in order for people to get saved. And we know millions and millions of myriads will be saved during that. And um, we read about, if you want to talk about angels, uh, there is a gospel angel that God will send throughout the entire world near the end of the tribulation to proclaim the eternally good news. Uh, obviously, you'll have what's called the two witnesses. There are two witnesses. Some believe Moses and Elijah or Moses and Enoch who will work from Jerusalem. And for three and a half years, they will preach the gospel. They'll be like the Old Testament prophets. They'll, they'll bring fire down on their enemies. They'll shut off the rain. And the whole, once they're killed by the Antichrist, the whole world will worship and uh, worship the Antichrist and celebrate their death. And God resurrects them in front of all to see. God will use the branding angel to brand on 144,000 Jewish evangelists his name to protect them during that time period. And they will, they're like 144,000 Apostle Paul spreading the gospel all over. Uh, there's obviously the judgments that people recognize that they do understand that, that God is behind these judgments. And many turn to the Lord, but many more shake their fists at God and, and hate him for the judgments that come on the world. And then, like I said, the, God will even send the gospel angel to come down. And so he's going to use both human and angelic enterprises to get the gospel all throughout the tribulation time period. So you bring up an interesting point here as well. Um, 
when we go back to the transfiguration and the, how do they know that was Moses and I mean they never met they were like hundreds of years apart but they knew exactly who they were and here's Jesus having a time of event horizon he's in two dimensions at the same time and they see the glory of God um, extraordinary and so it sounds like the two witnesses I mean how would people know who they were yeah that's an interesting because uh, the three apostles that got to go up Peter James and John it's interesting that Peter offers to set up a tent for them so clearly they were in physical bodies. They weren't ghosts. They weren't apparitions. You know, he was worrying about their physical needs. And that your guess is as good as mine. Jesus must have, they didn't have like pictures that, oh yeah, there's Moses. I know him from his picture. They knew it was Moses and Elijah. We uh, know that these men during the tribulation, these two witnesses, wield such power that it's likened to Moses. And we also, the prophecy about Elijah coming before as the herald of Jesus. Clearly Jesus said that was John the Baptist, but he could come again. Some believe Enoch might be the other man because Enoch was raptured up to heaven before the flood came. Uh, there are other beliefs that um, possibly there are two angels. I don't see how that, that's possible though, and I, I might mention that in the book. And then there's could be just two Jewish men who get saved after the, after the rapture, and they're given these powers and abilities. We really don't know but they very function very much like Moses and Elijah or Moses and Enoch. Now, we know Moses died, so some people say, well, Moses didn't die. Well, yes, Satan uh, you know, debated and wanted to, who's right. going to own the body of Moses? So we know Moses died. Uh, that's why others say, well, it's got to be Elijah or Enoch because they're still in their human bodies and so can be killed. So uh, your guess is good, Mike. What do you think? Why? Why? That—that that is a question. Why? Why did he fight over the body of Moses? I mean, he, he's not in the body anymore. That's right. It's just like anybody else that passes on to glory now. Um, I'd imagine because, well, you know what? When the Israelites were in the desert and the snakes were biting them, they made a, a serpent around a—I think it was bronze—and they put it around a, a staff. And everyone looked up; they would be healed. And that was looking forward to Jesus Christ being crucified on the cross. But eventually the Israelites began to worship it. So Moses had it destroyed. And I've always wondered if maybe that was the case that Satan fought over the body of Moses because it would become a symbol to worship or to worship his sarcophagus or whatnot. Kind of like going to the tomb of Lenin. Yeah. Um, but that's my theory. Well, that's a good one. Um, let's, let's talk, about, I want to backtrack just a moment because earlier we were talking about, the, you know, these on, um, Thinkable viruses going in the world right now, and this, this scare tactic behind it. And I did a, a show with Dr. Michael Lake recently, and we talked about um, the fact that John G. Lake went into Africa as an evangelist, a healing evangelist, and had incredible results. God gave him you know, gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they had bubonic plague breakout, and, and the government of Africa could not pay people enough money, nobody would come bury the dead because the virus was, uh, the, the bond of plague was so intense, people just left the dead in the streets. And here's John G. Lake and a couple of his mates and they went and buried the dead and ministered to the ones that were still, you know, living. And England sent over um, a team of doctors and, and the help and the doctors showed up and said, now, talk, you know, what are, what are you doing for protection? I said, what protection? I don't need protection. I've got the Holy Spirit. And so they did, Lake was one month from graduating med school um, before he became a pastor, he switched gears. And so he had a scientific mind and uh, they did an experiment. It, 
there's a number of uh, versions of the, I, I don't know which one's correct either. They put, they, they took the, uh, the, the plague, the foam of um, a dead man's lungs, and under a microscope, it was either in his hand or a drop of blood. But as soon as the germs touch Lake's body, um, which normally would kill somebody, right? The, the germs died. You know, God, huh. God does, does that, you know, talks about germs being an exodus. I mean, he didn't call them germs, he describes them perfectly. That's why they the, the ritual that hiss up soap, and if you touch anything dead, you can't, uh, you know, come into the camp for seven days and all the rest of it. Um, before we run out of time, though, I do want to ask you, what are the most uh, common misconceptions people have in the church today about angels? Because you've gone such a, I mean, I remember reading Billy Graham's book about angels, but I just have to say, it. I mean, this surpasses, I mean, you built on what he did and you took it to the next level and then some. So, well, praise the Lord. Uh, uh, Terry James, I'm sure you know Terry James with Rapture Ready, was very kind and he wrote the foreword to the book. And after he read the book, he said, I consider this book to be the premier work on the subject of angels to this point in literary history. And I wrote back and said, Terry, you can't say that. Billy Graham's book I mean, is just amazing. I've read so many other, Francis Schaeffer and uh, yeah. uh, Jane Vernon McGee and all these great, great people. But he said, well, you focused on Revelation and you really detailed each of the 72 angels or groups of angels through. And that's why he believed it was the premiere. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll get that. But other than that, I don't want you to say it's the premiere book. That was very, very thank generous. You, hey, praise God. Thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yes. Thank you, Lord. He did it through you. So what are the biggest misconceptions that we're seeing in the church right now about angels? I mean, you got, again, you know, if you go in the most Christian bookstores, we have these um, truly looking feminine angels, right? Um, but the only two female angels we, we have, in, I wrote about it in one of my books as well, you know, that's in Zachariah 5, 7, isn't it? Um, and they, they represent evil. So what's with that? Well, like you said, it's the perception of angels. One is to become obsessed with them. And we live in a time period, the Harry Potter era, if you want to call it, where everybody's obsessed with the uh, evil, the occult, uh, maybe because they want to get into it and be, get gain power, or they're just curious. Uh, when I was back in Bible college, my angelology professor, I remember him getting up there and he's kind of putting his hands on the pulpit. And he looked a little pained and he said, I don't want to cover the subject of demonology any longer than I have to because you could get an unhealthy fascination with it and it'll suck you in. And even if you're a Christian, you can't be possessed, but you'll be spiritually oppressed. And we see many people become obsessed with the occult, whether on one side or another. I was just watching recently a story about Dan Aykroyd who made the Ghostbusters movie. And the idea came because his family was all fascinated with the occult. They were all involved in it. And to him, he said that was just a family business of making a funny movie using his humor based on his family research. And so the greatest misconception is either to get too involved in it and let it suck you in or to ignore it and say that, well, God's not doing anything involved anymore. It's a very Western idea, right? We don't believe in the supernatural. We don't see that there's a spiritual battle going on behind us. We look at everything material and, and human and, and not the fact that God is working behind the scenes as well as Satan a lot of these battles that we're seeing in, in the public forum, uh, in the government, in, in local governments even, uh, uh, spiritual battles and the cultural war all have demonic influences behind it. I, 
I go even far as saying the, the constant attempt to evict President Trump and all he's doing to support Christianity in Israel is in effect a, a satanic warfare to try to stop that and then raise up other candidates who are clearly anti-God and anti-Semitic and anti-Christian. And so we're seeing that warfare all the time. The second misconception, I would say, is how we view angels. And we talked a little about that in the last segment. The idea that they're all a bunch of white guys with curly blonde hair and wings and, and uh, they all look like uniform stormtroopers, there's no difference, is not biblical. They're, they're vast arrays of sizes and shapes and all. Uh, I kind of interpret the two females that you read about to, to be more symbols of evil because that whole thing was a symbol. But Jesus said they don't marry or given in marriage, so they, they might not even have a gender. They might be genderless. I, I don't know that for sure, but it seems like the case could be made for that. The same with the demons. Uh, we do two things with them. Either we take them too seriously or we make them comical and turn them into TV shows like Lucifer, and they become the anti-hero. Or uh, there's even children's shows. Now. There's, Disney's about to put on a children's show that, that's based in the occult where demons are helping this little girl do things. And like this is real spiritual warfare. So those are the greatest misconceptions I see when it comes to the study of angelology. Nathan, can I ask you about, um, so for example, you know, there might be people out there like myself that have, you know, I've only been a believer for 11 years. So I, you know, really didn't know very much about angels or demons and, um, or maybe there's even believers out there who've been raised in the church, but have never been educated about them. What are some of the, you know, say the warning signs, the things to look out for, you know, where you might think you're encountering angels, but really they're demons, you know, what would they be masquerading in some way? Or, you know, how do we kind of protect ourselves and be, and be aware and discern? Absolutely. Well, the apostle Paul, said that after he talked about the principalities and pallies of the air, how our war is really spiritual, he then went on to talk about putting on the full armor of God to basically become discerners by knowing what the word of God says so we can test the spirits. Uh, I personally am not into exorcisms or anything like that. I have a very good friend of mine whose ministry actually is involved in spiritual oppression for Christians who uh, and I've got a very dear loved family member who's engaged in this right now. She's given up on her Christianity and her, there's a darkness that's coming over her family, a lot of sickness, a lot of mental illness, uh, a lot of depression is because she separated her relationship from Jesus Christ. And that's the first sign you see when people start wandering away from, from God. And he, he says it a few times in the New Testament about let them wander so Satan can deal with them so that you can bring them back. And so that's, you see that a lot of spiritual oppression because they've disconnected them from the source that is Jesus Christ. So stay in your Bible, keep praying, surround yourself with other Christians for Christian accountability. Uh, you know, don't disconnect yourself. We are the branches, but he is the vine. Mm -hmm. We will die if we're disconnected. And we see that uh, frequently. Obviously there's uh, the Western world, I believe disregards demons and spiritual warfare because for Satan, that works for his advantage. But back in Bible college, my missions professor brought in a missionary from Papua New Guinea, and I, I have this in the book as well. And uh, their animism, it's open demons, and it works because it afflicts the people. He actually saw a woman dragged off her bed by invisible hands and thrown around the room like a rag doll by, by unseen forces, and it terrified him. And when he told us the story, the look on his face that 
to this day still surprises me and, and kind of gives me the chills. But it works for Satan to be open and brazen in animistic cultures, but to be kind of hidden Western. Oh, that's changing. I've just read recently there's now more Wiccans than Methodists in the United States. So that system, that, this chain, the world, it's interesting when you get into Revelation during the tribulation, there's five main sins and one of them is sorcery. The world will either align themselves with Jesus or align themselves with Satan. There will be no other third choice. It, again, it reminds me of what the world was like in, in France in the 1700s. They, they, they rejected God and then they had kangaroo courts. I mean, it was just total chaos. It was just terror. And that's all that's going to be left when you have a world without God in it. Um, before we run out of time, then let's, um, let's just ask you this. Um, you, you spent all this time researching this. I mean, you've done an incredible work. It's, it's really top So if you had to boil this down, you, maybe, you know, we've got people out there that, that'll agree Jesus exists, you know, that he's God, but they don't believe in the devil. They're, they're so deluded, right? Um, mm -hmm. They don't read the word of God for themselves, so they don't know what's really going on. Um, what is the most important thing you could say if you could just uh, synthesize this down into the essence of what is it you're really trying to get people to understand in your book? Two words. Jesus wins. All of the revelation points to the victory of Jesus Christ. And so you have to ask yourself, what side are you on? There is no third side. You either are a child of God or you're a child of Satan, whether you realize it or not. And that's why revelation, it's, it's a, such a blessing to be able to read it because you see that in the end, no matter how dark it gets, how hopeless life is, and it's getting darker and darker, we can all see that, that Jesus Christ comes when it's the darkest. If you go out at five in the morning, it's usually pretty dark. It's like so pitch dark, but you know the sun is just about to rise. And that's what the book of Revelation is. It is the sun rising. It's Jesus Christ coming back in victory. And so then you have to ask yourself, this is the only life you get. What is the decision? All of life boils down to one question. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior or not? Amen. That is the question. Who do you say that he is? So, um, you know, and I think we make it so complicated sometimes. You know, you and I run around in intellectual circles. We've got all these erudite scholarly friends. Yes. So simple, and yet it's so complex. But, I mean, you know, a child can get saved because of the simplicity of God's word and We've got so many people that are trying to work their way there. I mean, if I ask most people, you know, where will you end up? And they'll, they'll tell me they're going to heaven eventually, right? And, and I'll ask her why. And they go, because I'm a really good person. Uh, I, and, you know, and you have to point out that the word of God shows very clearly that there are no good people. We've often, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that was really John Wesley's message back in the 1700s. It revolutionized the UK. Um, I think we're, we're there again. Um, I think if we're understanding it's not because of what we did, it's because of what he accomplished, what Jesus Christ Nazareth accomplished on the cross. Um, maybe it's a good time right now if we just pray for people because I, I, I just sense there's people watching this that haven't made their peace with God. Um, they're still on the on the fence trying to figure out you know which way is up here are, are these guys really just crazy are they telling you the gospel <laughs> truth here um 
and you know and we got we've got the gifts of the holy spirit we've got so much going on here it's a supernatural world we've got a church year after year for a lot of people we hear about um, you know moses imparting the walls or jesus walking on water healing all you know the people everybody that came to him and yet they have such a hard time believing that can happen today or that angels are interacting with us or or protecting us um nathan would you, would you be so kind i mean you, you do this quite often would you be so kind as to lead a prayer for anybody that would pray along right now and uh, enter in the place of forgiveness where they can enter into holiness with god oh certainly certainly i'll leave them with two verses we're all familiar with john 3 6 and for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life but a lot of people don't follow up with john 3 36 which reads he who believes in the son has everlasting life and he who does not believe the son shall not see life but the wrath of god abides on him satan biggest deception is the idea like you said that we're all good and we're all going to go to heaven unless we do enough bad things but the bible makes it explicit that you have to believe in jesus christ as the son of god and your savior and to approach him in repentance and ask for forgiveness of your sins and therefore then the wrath of god will be taken off you so i would pray if you believe in jesus christ and your savior you haven't made that commitment yet pray from your heart something like dear jesus please Forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. And Jesus will do just that. Your sins will be forgiven. The guilt will be gone. You'll be cleansed. You'll inherit new life. And you will rule and reign with Jesus Christ forever and ever in his kingdom, which is coming soon. Amen and hallelujah. And if you prayed that, let us know about it. You can reach us here at the upperroomfellowship.org. You can reach Pastor Brandon at redeemministries.org. And Sarah, why don't you give a website for you? And then Nathan, you can give us a place people can contact you. Uh, so uh, battlereadyconference.org, all one word. Uh, you can reach me there as well. You can just click on the link contact and uh, I'll get an email. And you can contact me, Nathan Jones. I'm the Internet Evangelist at Lamb and Line Ministries. Our website is named after our television program, seen all over the world, ChristinProphecy.org. If you're interested in getting a copy of the Mighty Angels of Revelation, you can get that through our website at ChristinProphecy.org, also on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And I highly recommend you get a copy of this because you won't be able to put it down. It's an amazing book. It, it, it's a must read. So please um, get a copy, check it out. And we'll see everybody another time for another spiritual encounter here, there, in the air. God bless you. God bless everyone. Thank you for having me. We've got to have you back more often, Nathan. That's, it's been too long. You're such an amazing guest. Oh, praise the Lord. I, I love your program and I, I love your ministry and I love Game Changers. That hey! Was really, that was rocking my 80s groove on that thing. Yeah. It was. It was like, it just brought me back to the day, yet this is all new stuff. I'm glad someone is still keeping the 80s alive. Bye. Must be naturally craveable. Ooh, it's gotta be. Nothing else could satisfy me. Ooh, craveable, naturally craveable. High smoking nuts. 
special feature.